Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Promise Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network, a special YouTube live show we are doing. The second one in about a week, but things are happening around Manchester United. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, as usual, as we say, special show. I think, we could, I think we'll still be back Friday, Rob, to look ahead to... Uh, to the next show if you if you can do it of course but why not? we do have we do have it's been quite a day hasn't it in the sense of mm. sir jim has done his first appearance and he has answered any question that has been put to him about the ownership of manchester united his part in how manchester united are going to move forward Obviously, we had the official communication around about 24 hours ago as we record this mm. of that ratification and full completion of his 27.7% acquisition of Manchester United. But Rob, I haven't let you talk yet. You're right. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, kind of exciting day, isn't it? Like, we don't get excited about executives and all of this, but it does matter, doesn't it, to us? Because we cover all this ground all the time. So, yes, 24 hours ago, the news broke. We obviously finally ratified, and Jim Ratcliffe, now part owner of Manchester United officially, and the official statement's going out. Uh, and we knew today that there would be some official line to, to the press as well. So we knew that was coming. I think what we didn't realise was coming, Scott, was just the kind of depth that he was willing to go into and just a kind of anything goes question. I think one of the things that was actually put to him by a journalist was, you do realise how strange we find this because Manchester United haven't spoken to us like this in 20 years <laughs> and you've just done more in one afternoon in your offices in the boardroom. So, yeah, lots to cover today because obviously I think Jim Ratcliffe really spilt his guts as to what he thinks about Manchester United and how he wants to take the club forward. But just also, I think, giving us tidbits on on maybe some corners and stuff that we haven't spoken about as much and, and his own opinions of that as someone now who directly influences everything that happens at Manchester United. Yeah, we're going to dig through uh, stuff that he has said. There's, I think social media is going mad with uh, things that he's said, whether he's talking about Sheikh Jassim and whether he exists... Oh, <laughs> which I think was uh, quite interesting. Tons to get into. We'll we'll divide it as best we can into a few sections. We're never going to be able to cover everything in this. Uh, there's going to be lots of no. uh, fallout, but we'll try our very best. And obviously, this will be available on audio as well afterwards. So please subscribe on Apple and Spotify if you have not done so already. If you're watching us on YouTube as we record this and you haven't subscribed, please do. The Promised Land of Manchester United podcast, and you should like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, and hit the notification bell so you never miss a show. And you can also follow Rob and I on. Oh, Rob, we've just had a, a request to show us your vinyl collection, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. You can follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, Instagram, TikTok at underscore Rob underscore B on X, and YouTube and at TPLMUFC on X as well. Pedro Camino says, Rob, show us your vinyl collection. I collect as well. Would I mean, it might be a, 
unless you can pick something out specifically. Oh, I don't know. As... Like there's, 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 you can't see it, but it goes all the way up there about 12 foot. So what you can see here times by another two or three up there. So maybe on another on a show one day when I'm a bit more prepared, I'll have the camera proper and I'll lift it up and show people all of my vinyl collection. Pedro also says, finally, first time I catch a show live. Greetings from Florida. Greetings to you. Raina says, a live stream on a Wednesday. What a nice surprise. Yeah, I mean, we we have said that uh, we will try our best to get to you when things are breaking. And we could have done this earlier today, but I've had a quite a busy day. And unfortunately, I have... Uh, I've had other work commitments to attend to today. Uh, we're and it's probably for the benefit of the show. I will. I will also say we we've uh, moved into a new office at Nat Yamin Towers today. Very nice. We have a new studio. We have a new podcast studio. So maybe you won't see my office slash spare room in the background anymore. And we'll be looking a little bit more dapper, a little bit more professional in the weeks to come. But yes. Uh, Plenty to dig into today. Ten Hog Seven says, Sir Jim, getting under the skin of every rival on day one. Please make us great again. And uh, Jace says, Jace Seven Eleven says, the adults are finally in the room. Hashtag Sir Jim. And I've got to be honest, Rob. Like as we said at the top, before we get into anything he said, the fact that he said anything <laughs> is <It's> positive. <laughs> a massive thing, isn't it? I think. Yeah. It's so weird. Like I was, I was coming home and seeing the the guy who owns Man United on Man United social channels, mm. video of him talking about Man United. Which imagine Joel Glazer doing that? Well, I can't imagine Joel. Well, you can't, that. can you? It never, never would happen. And also, you referring to Manchester United, the entity of Manchester United, and the football fans of Manchester United as us. You know, he's a fan. You know, he talks extensively today about why he supported Manchester United, obviously growing up in the area. And just a really big kind of bell ringing uh, operation, Scott, about the North, saying the North deserves more and people from the North pay their taxes. And there was a lot of this drum banging. And I actually think he got asked that. I went, well, so Jim, don't you pay your, you don't pay taxes in the UK anymore. And he was like, well, I pay taxes for 65 years and now I went and live somewhere where there's a bit more sun. Sorry about that. I thought I quite like that. Yeah, I, quite, I quite like that actually. <laughs> that was all right. You know, it's like yeah. I get why people. You know, it's not like he's, you know, has never paid tax in the UK or anything like that. But I think the fact that he was ringing and ringing and banging the drum, I should say, for for people of the north and in the northwest, I thought was a really good thing because it's part part of the bigger story here about as to why you know we kind of favoured him as an as an owner over maybe other entities that maybe do not exist. Um, but existing is the first bit, isn't it? That matters, Scott. Yes, it is indeed. So I'm just checking my uh, my Twitter replies. I uh, I said we're recording this during a Champions League. By the way, Arsenal yeah. playing. Uh, if you're listening to this on on Thursday, we're we're doing this during the Champions League. And I said essentially, this is I I've I've no interest in the Champions League. Like it, it's it's lost its shine a bit. I know because United have gone out, but I forgot it was on. Exactly, but. Hey, Happy the most what? important story of the day is is what's happening at Man United. Now, <clears throat> Jim Ratcliffe has sat down with Written Press. There's video of him on the BBC. There's video of him on United social channels. There are there's a 
you can read everything that he said. You don't have to look too far. I'm sure all the aggregator accounts on Twitter will be giving you, spoon-feeding you like snippets of what he said for about five months to come. But yeah, uh, plenty to dig into. We'll look at his ambition, the Dan Ashworth situation, Eric Ten Hag, the Glazers, Qatar, Mason Greenwood, and the stadium uh, throughout today's show. Plenty to get into. But yeah, I, I suppose maybe the three-year ambition. Let's, let's start with that, Rob. Mm. So I, I am paraphrasing. I'm going to paraphrase everything here because there's so much that he said. It's just really impossible to, you know, just... And you, you don't, let's face it, you don't want me to read out a lot of this. <laughs> I'm sure you can you can read it or you prefer to listen to him say it himself. So if you'd like to do that, go and, go and watch it. But he was asked about how long it will take to turn around and... There was a comment about, will it take 10 years? And he essentially said, 10 years is a bit too long for people to wait. I think it's more realistic that we look at two or three years. He also ruled out next season and mm. pl- playing like Manchester City at this point next year is essentially impossible because there's a lot of s- structural things to to implement and fix. Um, but, you know, Rob, we, we the way that we do this podcast, we're not like shouty, shouty, fix it now, fix it yesterday. We've always said this will take time. You just need to be patient with it. And I think that he's, he's he hasn't echoed us because obviously we'll be echoing him, <laughs> you know. But he has Maybe essentially he said, Scott, "Who knows?" He, he watches the show. <laughs> he obviously does. He's he's picked up a lot of things from from the Promised Land pod. But that is the the thing I like most about this is just how measured he is and how real he essentially is. And yeah, I'm going to say, like, hey, Man City played some of the best football I've ever seen, or the best football I've ever seen in the semi-final of the Champions League last year against Real Madrid. They absolutely smashed them. Mm. And we'd like to play like that, but we're nowhere near that. We, we can't play like that at the moment. It's going to take a few years. And two or three years, I think, is fair, isn't it? I think it's fair. And I think it's it was very interesting that he kind of grasped that number three years because... When when it was put forward to him 10 years, I think people are trying to marry that up with the idea around the regeneration around Old Trafford or, you know, the stadium plans and all of these things. But when you take it to the football, it's like how long, as I said last week, how long is a piece of string? Well, with football, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can be successful one minute and fall off the cliff the next. It's the way it goes. What I do like, Scott, and you said the word there, real, that's what I like about him, is that this is all within the realms of realism. This isn't just a dream. It's not a pipe dream. It's not designed just in terms of image. I'm sure Sir Jim Ratcliffe will have a huge upside in that. In if he's the guy that is the Manchester United saviour in years to come, of course, he will be remembered as that. But it's actually having proper constructive plans. And, I, and there was just one little tidbit that came out of it, Scott, that like, you know, just straight away, something we said in the show the other day. Eric Ten Hag at the moment reports to the CEO and he said straight away, he was like, no manager should be reporting to your CEO. That's just wrong. And when I look at Man United, it's that kind of stuff that I kind of go, what's going on there? Like, this this is not how proper football club, it's not how business operates. Was that, uh, yeah, was that we... a dig at the Glazers, Rob? Well, I think there was quite a few things here where, obviously, he was really straight about Manchester United being an underperforming entity for the last 10 years. And he was really straight on one side about as being a fan. He was like, it's been horrible to watch. And then on the business side of it, he was a little bit more 
business hat on and he was like well commercial areas are doing okay and all this but the truth is the stadium's not very good i think that's almost like his direct words he said something about having a campus around old trafford which is something he called the stadium about. tired he called it tired yeah he called it tired and and i think he was confronted a couple of times, especially on the BBC interview, about, well, whose fault is that? And he was just like, well, it's my job's not really to talk about whose fault it is. And I'm actually with him because we know it's the Glazers. He doesn't need to come out and, like, slam the Glazers. Now, I'm sure Man United fans in a certain quarter that would love that, would love some kind of needle straight away. But I think he, he really showed that he's developed this relationship with the Glazer brothers, obviously Joel and Avram. And he kind of said, I haven't met any of the others. He went, I haven't met any other Glazers. He went, I've just met those two. And the issues all of this time were non-executive directors. So that was a pop at the rest of the Glazer family who all used to sit on the board. And obviously he's been acquiring a lot of their shares. So, um, yeah. I, it's funny I think- though that they, 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 they uh, there was a, a snippet a few months ago saying that they wouldn't, uh, criticize each other <laughs> and he, I, he's not and doing normal. it purposely is he but it, like he's being like when i say he's being real he's being real about the issues that everybody sees yeah. and unfortunately that is the fault of the people who own it yeah he can't be real it. and he can't be real and say oh yeah it's all great and then in the other breath say i'm changing everything that's not real is it that's just lip service i think it's quite normal in this kind of relationship scenario for two parties to to sign disclaimers and say they're not going to publicly deface each other like what is the point of that there's no point in it at all if Jim Ratcliffe wants Manchester United to be his and you know again the long-term plan here for any of us I think is to take the club over 100% that's down the road that's how they view it is that you have to make sure that this lot sell to you and he even says there when he talks about Qatar he was like I think the Glazers would have preferred to sell the club outright but there was no, there was that that wasn't on the table. That wasn't there, you know. And he tried to talk about, you know, he joked about Sheikh Jassim and about, you know, does he even, does he even exist? Because he said, like, like we we don't know who he is. We've tried to find out who he is, and it's the same for us in the press. We tried to find out who he is. So, uh, yeah, I I don't, I didn't expect him to say anything negative against the Glazers, but I think he was really real about the health of Manchester United, and he was like, everyone else has raced ahead of United. And United have been stuck in this kind of time warp for, for kind of 10 years. And he was like, I don't like it. You know, who likes it? I'm a Man United fan. No Man United fan could at all like what they've seen in the last 10 years. So that is down on the Glazers, isn't it? But I don't think the Glazers care about that, Scott. Like, if someone's coming in to fix it and their dividends go up a little bit more, I think they'll be quite happy. I'm just going to interject here, Rob, and we're going to change direction. Like, we're going to completely go off piste. Uh, Randy says MUFC statement on Shaw Scott so we just have had a, sh- a statement on Luke Shaw Ooh. Luke Shaw sustained a muscle injury and will be out for an extended period further assessment is still needed to determine the, determine the severity but we expect him to be absent for a few months let's just address that I mean we could talk about a Friday but since it's just mm. fresh now we may as well just uh, just look at this he's played 45 minutes against Villa got subbed 45 yeah. minutes minus injury time against Luton got subbed Ten Hag has said we know Luke Shaw's injury history. We don't. We want to make sure he doesn't get injured for a long period of time again. And he's got injured for a long period of time again. And now Man United don't have a left back. Just a quick reaction to that. Well, we heard earlier today that, that it was three months. So before, obviously, that statement's obviously just only come out. But we'd, we'd heard from the centre that it was going to be around kind of 12 weeks. Um, 
I think the thing is, Scott, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of fallout straight away on social media around it saying, oh, United forced him back. And I think there were, the criticism was of United's doctors and saying, oh, United's medical team are rubbish and this, that, and the other. The normal stuff that comes out when someone gets injured, you know, when you've got an injury crisis, it's obviously a doctor's fault. That's the way people look at it. I think the truth is, is that Luke Shaw put his hand up to play, wanted to play, and Eric Ten Hag wanted him to play. So it comes down to those two human beings at the end of the day. They're the ones who will talk, and Luke Shaw will say, can I do it or can I not do it? And the manager will, will go along with what the player says generally. Now, they've obviously got all the advice from the medical people. I think this is a hamstring injury, so it's not the same injuries as other injuries he's had, but I'm not surprised that he's sustained a secondary injury. That's what happens, isn't it? It happens... Every player, you come back too quickly and you get injured. So, yes, hindsight's a beautiful thing and it would have been nice to just sat him for a few more weeks and find a way. But then people would be saying, oh, Luke Shaw's not helping you. You know, Luke Shaw's rubbish. Luke Shaw's... Also, there's no guarantee if you leave him for another two weeks anyway, he's not going to get injured. So... (laughs) It's a muscle injury. So, like, it's a muscle injury. It can actually be completely fresh. It can be. So, it it could be bad luck. But I think the thing is, is this is, for me, not a doctor's... Uh, appointment blame or anything towards that at all it's it's normally they'll train and the player will say if he can if he can play or not and then they'll have a sports science fitness report which will give them guidance on wider fitnesses or, or wider fitness of the player and Luke Shaw wanted to play so it's so difficult because United are in a situation Scott where they need their best players on the pitch Luke Shaw is definitely one of them and unfortunately now like the Sandra Martinez you're now going to lose him for another period of time while we're off piste, I've just had a something that said uh, Edin Terzic, Borussia Dortmund coach, Jaden Sancho knows he's got to do better. Yeah, it's not going. It's not Maybe doing, we'll go, going come back to that one on Friday. <laughs> yeah, something for Friday. Like, I, I, I think it's quite interesting with Jaden is that, is that it, it's not gone great for him there in the immediate days there back in Germany. Um, I don't think that's proof of anything one way or the other. The player is useless or great or anything. I think again these things sometimes all mesh into one. But I think the truth is, Scott, there is that United want this boy to play so they can sell him. We need him to play so he can get minutes under his belt and get fit and we can sell him and move on. Um, Other than that, I think he'll be judged if he does really well in the Bundesliga in the next few weeks. It might be slightly different, but I think the truth is, obviously, United would like to sell him and and use that fee, obviously, uh, to, to regurgitate more, more transfers. Like today, one of the things that Ratcliffe talked about a lot was FFP. Talked about yeah. it a lot. And he was like, people have to understand that Manchester United have spent a lot of money over the last few years and we have to kind of sort that out now. So, you know, Jaden Sancho is one of those big transfer fees and one of those big wages that has to be taken off the bill. Like we say, being real and obviously Definitely. the way that he's spoken, I think it just... I know... A lot of people do say it, but if you're the the guy who owns you and is going to run football operations, mm-hmm. is essentially telling you, we spent money quite erroneously, and we've not really done that well at selling players. And FFP means like you you have to buy players well and sell players well in order to you know not really run the risk of breaking FFP rules. Mm-hmm. And these. I, I like a lot of what he said, and we'll, we'll talk about Dan Ashworth in a second. We talked about his three-year ambition. Uh, sorry for the interjection with the the Luke Shaw and Jaden Sancho little bits. Wondering, can I say, say one thing about the three-year yeah, yeah, thing? It. Actually, just very quickly, yeah. my personal opinion, hundred percent, is it will take longer than three years. So I think it's nice that he said three years because I think that that quells some of the anxiety from United fans because they're like, how long again does this take? 
I think United have got long, more than three years worth of problems. I really do. Even with the changes that are so positive now, it's great having a new director of football, a sporting director, a new part owner, all of these heads that come in. But the truth is your playing squad is still nowhere near good enough. And he did say that today. He was really quite straight about that. He was like, we are behind Man City. They play this level of football because it's taken them seven, eight years to get this squad. Now, I think three years, I think, is, I don't know, that is blue sky thinking for me. I don't I don't think that in three years, three, three lots of summer transfer windows, you are going to be a title challenging team because that's what he was kind of lending itself to. He was like, we'd like to be in the Champions League by the end of the season. Again, not quite sure about that, Scott. 50-50 at the moment, I'd say. And then next year, you're going to have to invest quite heavily, but you can't because of FFP. So... I don't think it's. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, I don't think it's impossible. Two, two, three years was about what I was thinking. But you, you know, you think of how many points United are behind at the moment, and the 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 big challenge that they have is selling. I think mm. because that is essentially the thing that will unlock the door to them being able to afford to bring in other players. Selling and clearing the wage bill. I think they'll they might be able to do a bit of that in the summer. We'll see how good, Definitely. how masterful they can be at raising a bit of money to reinvest in the summer. But obviously, they are treading that line of uh, FFE PSR rules. So, mm. you know, that's uh, it is something. It's not going to be fixed tomorrow. If anybody's thinking it's going to be fixed no. tomorrow, it's just just not going to be. Uh, Did you see one the... more quote? He said, "Sorry about Nice." So it's just because it, it goes together here. And he said, "We took Nice over." He said, "And we made a real mess of that for two or three years." That's what he said. And it was like it's refreshing for him to say that. He was like, "We made really bad choices at Nice." He said, "And we worked it out on the fly, and now we're in a better place." So. I think there'll be a little bit of that Man United, Scott. I think they have to feel their way around some of this. And that's why they're looking at these, you know, best-in-class people, you know, the Dan Ashworths and everyone who's already in the game because they give you a little bit of leverage. Wander and Propeller says, thanks for live pod, lads. Wouldn't have been surprised to hear Sir Jim come out with a not-too-high, not-too-low uh, comment, which uh, I'd be suing. would have been... Yeah, it would have been that. Yeah, you can't <laughs> say that. That's, but uh, he's right. it was a kind of not-too-high, not-too-low Thing, wasn't it today like i think that was really the the baseline i thought was really nice strong man steve hello again uh says we've become to we've become used to being kept in the dark by the owners never any clarity or confirmation on anything that's happening within the club and that's obviously how we started the show yeah. as well one thing he was quite candid about was dan ashworth though mm. very interesting uh i'm gonna try and dig up a section here and I'm going to I'll read it back. I know I said I wouldn't do this 10 minutes ago, but I'm going to do it. Dan Ashworth is clearly one of the top sporting directors in the world. I've no doubt he's capable. He's interested in Man United because it's the biggest challenge at the biggest club in the world. And he doesn't shy away from that either. I, I love wow. that about him as well. It would be different at City because you're maintaining a level here. It's a significant rebuilding job. It would be a good addition. He needs to decide if he's going to make that jump. I haven't actually seen this. is the first time I'm reading this part, actually. Mm. Uh, we've had words with, New words with Newcastle who would be disappointed. They've done really well since their new ownership. I understand why they'd be disappointed. But you can't criticize Dan because it, it's a transient industry. He goes on to say about the 20 million asking price. Yes. <laughs> it's a bit Read silly, that. personally. <laughs> it's a bit silly, personally. I won't get dragged into that. What I do think is completely... A is completely absurd suggesting a man who's really good at his job sits in his garden for one and a half years. It's fantastic. That's a fantastic little quote. That really, really good. And Strike do you know what? Do you know what though? Like you, you know how um, United have been going into negotiations in the past, and like mm. 
the the word is oh man united are coming along this absolutely rinse them for all the money they've got because yeah. they, they have people who are in that room who don't really know what they're doing mm. he ain't taking well, he, any crap. There, there's, a little, <laughs> there's a little caveat there. he talks about the brada uh, uh appointment yeah. from city and he said you see how it works is we went to man city had a grown-up conversation and they agreed with us and then he's now come to us and he's like and that's he's kind of hinting that's what really Newcastle should do. Now, we know why Newcastle are not specifically doing that. As we said on our last show, 20 million is a ridiculous price. 10 million is a ridiculous price. And, and in UK law, you're not actually covered by those things. And he even says that at the end of his little statement there. He was like, at the end, he went, he went it's not actually how the UK works in terms of employment. So I don't know why people are like talking about it like that. And again, people have talked about it like a transfer. Like United have gone knocking on the door and gone, Oh, we want to buy Dan Ashworth from Newcastle. He's an executive. No, he can he can resign. <laughs> he would it's be posturing, at fault for penalties. Rob. It's, 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 it's all Newcastle po is posturing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he would be at fault for penalties, no doubt about it. Like, you know, they could hold him to his contract for one reason or the other. But we're honestly only talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds or the low millions. We're not talking 10 or 20 million. I and mean, it's not a football transfer. So I think people, again, are getting those two things you know confused because it's football but it's not football it's not the transfer market it's so completely different and man united should not be paying 20 million for any executive ever we need to stop doing that rubbish of just giving money away to get stuff because that's really what ed woodward did really everything how do i solve it throw some more money at it don't solve it i'll throw some more money at it i'll sack another manager let's start again so I, i'm not down with that i think uh, i think you know it's quite interesting as well there scott that he talked about dan ashworth in the tents of Dan Ashworth wants to come here. It wasn't like we want Dan Ashworth. It was like Dan Ashworth wants to come to Man United. It's a shame for Newcastle that. And it's like, okay, you, you put Isn't in the that truth the kind out of bravado there. though that you want because like, yeah. every, everybody knows it's the case. I, I, if you're a United fan, right, you know that's the case. It's just the version of United we've seen in the last ten or eleven years is a damaged version of what it should be, and people seem to forget. The, the version of United that Ferguson made and the, yeah. the 20 years that preceded that. People forget that. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it is bravado. I think it's just reality. And I think like the, the reality is, and like again, you, you said from the beginning about Dan Ashworth coming, Scott, you were like, I think Man United are the team that could turn him. And I was the one going, mm, I don't think so. You know, like, I think Newcastle have got too much money. But the truth is, is that if you've got someone like Jim Ratcliffe behind the scenes with a really strong core of people there already in, a, you know, like click click of your fingers it's it looks completely different as terms of a boardroom is that you can go out into the market and get what you want players individuals you can work with agents in a different way you can really put your your you know you know your front foot forward and be aggressive without being horrible you know what i mean like you don't have to be smarmy about it. you don't have to be a show-off you just go well this is who we are we know who we are and i think that's really what he what came across today was that he was like identity, right? Yeah, identity, absolutely. And he talked a lot about Fergie and what Fergie did before. And he talked about Fergie being a winner. And he said, "That's why we're here. We have the same mentality as Sir Alex Ferguson. We are here for that reason. We're not here to take part. We're here to kind of win, and that's what we'll be judged on." I like that as well, Scott. He said that a few times. He was like, "We know 100% if we fail here, we'll be judged on that, and that's not something we want. So we're going to do everything to make sure that we don't fail." I think sometimes that fear you see drives you more than just the trophy at the end of the, you know, the rainbow, you know, the league cup, or we've won a trophy. 
No, I think it's actually success is a long term thing. And I think that he he spoke about that very eloquently today. Uh, John Taylor says a uh, 15 million loan for Lingard was ridiculous. Yep. Like, John, I'm not sure if you're a United fan or you're a Newcastle fan. You just joined uh, for the <laughs> just because we're talking about United. But what was a 15 million loan? What football in, in what way? What to they, West Ham? You know, um, I think it, it was Newcastle, wasn't it? But at right. the same time, he's a I would. He's a footballer. <laughs> also, we are talking about like you, you can say it was ridiculous, and yes, it probably was. But at the same time, he's coming in and replacing the team that were asking for that. Like, yeah. all of this stuff that's happened over the last few years, all of these like stupid transfer fees and these stupid requests are no more. Like, yeah, look, look, I think this is this is the, the the problem is that United have been making these decisions for too long, and he's essentially out here telling the club's official channels, we've been making bad or this club's been making bad decisions. We need to reverse the bad decisions that they've made. Yeah, and 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 also like you, you can football's relative, so like we can talk about Harry Maguire being eighty million pound and a world record that fee. Should never happen, but it should never have happened. But at the time, Man United thought that's all they could do. That's what they wanted to do because they they said to the last manager, Jose Mourinho, they weren't going to buy him for that price, mm-hmm. and then they gave the next manager to him for eighty million quid. So it it's stupid because you know, like today with uh, Radcliffe saying we won't pay twenty million, it's kind of silly then you're going to hold him to that. Because if tomorrow they went and paid 20 million for him, we'd all go, well, hang on a second, what did you say yesterday? That's not going to happen. That's not what serious business people do. You kind of really dig your heels in and you go, well, I'm not doing it like that. And and that is what I've wanted from an owner at Manchester United for such a long time. And we've now got, I don't, the Lingard comment is a bit strange because I think at the end of the day, Jesse Lingard actually went to West Ham, didn't he, before and was really good for six months, got back in the England squad. So his value was different there. Now we look at Jesse Lingard and obviously he's playing in Korea. So, you know, you can, it's all relative now, isn't it, as we look down the line. But uh, I, I don't know, like we, we paid loan fees for all sorts of players, Scott, like, you know, we did it for Regulon recently. And today people are going, oh, we should have kept Regulon except for the fact that Regulon was rubbish and that fee was burning a big hole in Manchester United's wallet. So, yeah, I don't know. But, but I don't think it's the thing, same. No, Rob. Like, I, I, like, I'm prepared to sit there and say, oh, God, Lindelof playing at left-back is a massive, massive problem for the now. Mm. Yeah. But also, I would prefer to have that massive, massive problem for the now rather than pay some some kid who's not very good and further worsen the FFP position that's going to mean that we have to tread more carefully in the future to fix it. If you want to look at it like that, because we've talked about uh, wages so many times, if you put Regulon's wages with everyone else's wages, there's every chance that you go over the FFP line and then in a year's time you're getting a points deduction. So what do you prefer? Do you want to like bodge your defence for a few games or wait till Luke Shaw's back? I also talked today on Twitter, Scott, about Harry Mass. So is there a chance here as a 16-year-old that like, he's an incredible talent? It doesn't mean that he's going to be your week-in, week-out left-back, but it means you have got a left-back. Aaron Wamasaka is two weeks away, two to three weeks. Obviously, Malassia, we think, now might be longer and more serious. So he's still got options there, haven't you, in the back line. We've not even talked about Kambuala, who can play at fullback. So you have got options. It's just whether you like the options. I certainly wouldn't have Regulon ahead of any of those players I've just mentioned. Right, let's like, move he was on. rubbish. Like, let's be he, honest, he, he was terrible. Rub- he was, yeah, he was. He His was numbers were terrible. Not <laughs> I, remember, I think you, we had a conversation as well. I was at Old Trafford for one game, and he was coming back into position. He was right in front of me, and and the ball went right past him, and he just 
kind of did a what, what's now becoming known as a Rashford, you know, a little kind of little jog back. And I was like, at left back, you can't do that. You got to chase. And and he never played. I don't think he started ever again. It wasn't after even that in game. Tottenham's Tottenham's squad. Yeah, everyone at Tottenham went. Why are you taking him? People I know at Spurs were like, "You've taken this player," and they were like, "From from the this is people who work at Tottenham were like, he's not going to do well at United." And that was from the first day, so they saw that. And now he's at Brentford, isn't he? And I'm sure he might might have some good games for Brentford, but um, no, I wouldn't have him at left back for Man United. No thanks. We tried it. We tried it for a little bit. Didn't work. But you might. But my point is, you might need to grin and bear some decisions, which yeah. for the short term are a little bit painful. Yeah if it means there's more flexibility in the future. Absolutely. And he, I even talk about transfers in the summer that are made for that. Mm. But you just have to get on board with the fact that they are doing things in the best interest of the long-term future of the club. And I feel like that is... I, I'm like, I, I've never made any secret of it, really. Even when we were doing the podcasts, Rob, when it was Qatar versus Ineos. Mm. Like, we never really said... Aside, we never took a side as such, but I wouldn't make any secret that this was the one I always preferred. This this bid was the one I always preferred. I don't think I did at the time, but I didn't want to shove it in people's faces because obviously you need to make your mind up. But that that was I just wanted some sense to be brought into this place rather than money sense, you know. Um, But let's let's move on to the manager. Hmm. So he didn't comment on there at Ten Hag, right? No. People get at me. People get at me for backing the manager blindly too much and but this is my point like there's so many issues outside of this why would you spend money sacking a manager and worsening your position and hire someone else if it turns out that the prop you could fix the problems and maybe you give the manager you've got a better chance of succeeding Mm. that's that's my whole position on this Mm. and yeah he's essentially not can't he said i'm not going to comment on eric ten hag because i think it would be inappropriate but if you look at the 11 years that have gone since Gill and Alex Ferguson have left, there's been a series of coaches, some of which were very good. None of them were successful or survived for very long, and you can't blame the coaches. The only conclusion you can draw is that the environment which they were working didn't work. And Eric's been in that environment. I'm talking about the organization, the people in that structure, and the atmosphere. We have to do that bit. So I'm not really focused on the coach. And I completely agree. Completely agree with that. Hmm. And he also made a line, a comment as well. Why why does the manager report to the CEO? Yeah, mad. Like yes. <laughs> what? You know? It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Structure. No structure. structure. Like it, it, like again, with any experience in business, you, you look at those things and they're weird. Like you look at them and kind of go, hang on, there should be these layers of, of management to the top. And yeah, sometimes you strip a few of those away to be able to make things run more efficiently. But for a manager to have to report to a CEO, you know what that means, Scott? It means he's doing way too much working to make a CEO happy. Like, that's not his job. His job is to win football matches. He should be on a training pitch and do nothing else. You know, go and win football matches. And again, I think one of the when the telltale quotes that came out today when around that, he, he talks about a, a philosophy and a playing style. And again, paraphrasing, he says, we will decide the playing style. We will decide what Manchester United want to do on a football pitch. We will decide what players we'll bring to the football club. And the coach, whoever the coach is, will implement our style. I thought that again was very straight. 
because he's telling us, isn't he, the direction of the club. You never, ever got that before. Obviously, the Glazers didn't have a clue about football, so that's just what it was. But this was the problem with Richard Arnold and obviously before that, Ed Woodward, who, again, self-styled director of football, as he was once called. You know, you, you can't have those people making these choices. You can't because otherwise you're going to be bad. It's just as simple as that. Now you're going to have, hopefully, a better structure in there. And then Eric can go out and just coach. I actually think he'd be better just as a coach. You know, I really do. I don't think he should be scouting and running networks and trying to find the next player. A few people tweeted me actually off the back of that today and went, oh, it's still a manager that decides at most football clubs. And I'm telling you, it isn't. Most football clubs don't work like that at all now. You don't think Roberto De Zerbi has all this control at Brighton? He's the, he's the new fashionable name. Like they're not, they're not doing very well either this year. The but last Roberto De Zerbi was, you know, people yeah. might want Roberto De Zerbi at United. There was a, he, he comes in, he has the same issues to deal with the Ten Hag does. Jamie Redknapp did a piece on Sky Sports a couple of a few days ago, and he talked about it, and he kind of said the same thing. He was like, "Oh, yeah, managers make the choices." And I was thinking about it. It's like, "Well, yeah, your dad did. You know, Harry Redknapp used to wheel and deal. That's not recent. That's somewhere down the line, and and it's not how it works now. Coaches are given." A mandate they don't work budgets out scott they don't sit there anymore and go well, i've got 30 million so how where can i stretch it that's not actually the job anymore the job is to make sure that you make the first team win the job isn't even anymore to develop the academy managers don't do that anymore whereas back in the fergie day that's what you did you you managed all the players you you bought players you sold players and that's what that's how it worked it does not work like that anymore and i keep saying it and people keep saying to me oh no that is how it works it's like it really isn't football manager does not work like that you know it's like you're there to coach and that is your individual job do you think arteta can sit there kind of at arsenal and talk to edu and all of that i'm sure he does that's fine because they're discussions but he doesn't buy the player you know he doesn't go out and go and attain the player that's up to arsenal to do that right randy's just randy's just said here deserby didn't know who joao pedro was and he, he's literally said that publicly. <laughs> yeah, he's literally said that publicly. I don't even know if I want this player. <laughs> Pep <laughs> like, said the same him. thing about Jeremy Doku yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah. obviously Pep worked at Man City. And I, I, I know there's a lot of uh, speak about not just looking at City structure, picking it up mm. and implementing it at United. But guess who was the academy director at Man City? Jason Wilcox, the, the guy Man United are trying to get as their technical director. Yeah. So who's managing, you know, that there are people within, there's a lot of people within football clubs. And when we talk about a spoke, like the center of the wheel, as Dan Ashworth refers to himself as, he would be the center and everything revolves around him. Totally. So the manager revolves And the responsibilities on them. The responsibility, yes. I think that's, that's the key thing about United in 10 years, Scott. And this again, just from, it's all about what Radcliffe said today is that, that there hasn't been that level of responsibility. And he's, he even spoke about that from the boardroom. He was like, you know, the boardroom hasn't given direction to the football club over time. And again, it was, I don't think that was a poke just directly at the Glazers, but he's talking more, I think, about the Ed Woodwards of this world and, and, and Richard Arnold and you know, maybe even to an extent, the guy who's already the director of football there who might not be very in the very near future. And, and we all agree with it. We've said it countless times that Manchester United has been a rudderless ship for 10 years and that's why you're not very good at football you've had some of the best coaches in the world at the football club you've had some great footballers but none of it works unless you have a proper plan a proper philosophy and a proper direction and Manchester United have not had that at all since Alex Ferguson walked out the door 
Hacker, hello again, mate. I see you in uh, several places. Chat here, weirdly articulate. We like it. We like Angst. articulation here. I, I know try. there's a lot of shouting happening at the moment online around this. I've seen, I've glanced myself just to see what others, obviously everyone else is doing and competitors and fan channels and whatever. But people know we don't shout. We wanted to go live tonight, Scott, didn't we? Because we kind of wanted to cover all these bases before our, our next show. Yeah, it's just too much. It's, it's too much to wait for. Um, but obviously lots and lots going on. He's called Dan Ashworth. I'm, I'm, I haven't got the quote in front of me. He said, essentially said something about him being a 10 out of 10. And he said, he said the, he said the dreaded words best in class as well. <laughs> in, well, you in, heard that Gary Neville's going to be helping with the, with yes. the direction around Old Trafford. So I think Gary's probably been in meetings, spitting best at class at him. Best you in know, class. Yeah. Hundreds of times you need the best in class stadium at Old Trafford, which of course we will talk about. But yeah, he did. He called him a 10 out of 10. And I like the way he phrased that because he was like, you know, we're only going for people who are 10 out of 10 and Dan Ashworth is one of them. And we were like, oh, again, I, I just like the way he phrases that because it's it's a thought out response, isn't it? It's something that he he thinks and he's trying to execute that. Any word on the Glazers? He's uh he's he's talked about the Glazers and their relationship. He said he's essentially met Joel and Avram, nobody else. Yeah. And he he stuck up for them in a in a sense, say they want the best for Man United. And I don't you know, I, I'm not. I don't think anybody's ever really said that they're plotting the downfall of Man United from Florida. Really, no. it's just more of a. It's, it's more of a carelessness, right? And it's just that they don't know anything about of, football. They don't know anything. That, that's that's the thing. And he, he essentially said that, didn't he? Yeah. It, well, what he said was like he, he he said that he's got to know them, and he said it's funny like how friendships develop through adversity. And what he meant by that was obviously the last 12 months, it's been a kind of adverse situation of how long it's taken. It's been very stressful for both, for both parties. And, and again, it does marry up with things I've been told in the past about the Glazers. And that is that they're, they're not in the room, bad people. Like you don't go up to them and think that they are a nasty piece of work or that they're evil. And these things are things that Manchester United fans feel validly because of, what's happened with the debt and all of those things and and the, the fall of the football club under their their kind of tenure. But what he kind of said was that, you know, I'm willing to work with these guys. We have legal agreements in in situ now. And he was kind of like, but it won't be about the legal agreements. It will be about our relationship. And he said, they're happy for me to do this. We've agreed it. It's all now written down in stone. I'm getting on with the job. I'm I'm basically making all the appointments. This is an Ineos project. Talked a fair bit about Ineos. And he was like, the Glazers will have very little to do with it. And that was that was his takeaway. He was like, that's it. You know, that's what we've decided. And we knew that. That's what we knew weeks ago. And we were like, okay, that's cool. Because we want the Glazers to have the least amount to do with the football arm at Manchester United as possible. Yes, they still sit on the board, the two brothers. But it really is just kind of Joel and Avram now. And the rest of the Glazer family has kind of just melted away into the background because we knew from day one that they they were all quite keen to sell parts of their shares and stuff. And this is what, what's happened. He addressed that as well, didn't he? And he also said yeah. he, he hopes that they don't, they can let the, uh, the finer details of uh, who controls what in the drawer to collect dust. Yes. Because yeah. He was like, we know who does what it's been decided. And he, and, and he kind of even said something along the lines again, paraphrasing that he, you know, he, he didn't think it ever going to have to get to a point where legality meant anything. Like we've got legal terms here and it's been agreed legally, but I don't think we'll ever get there because they trust us and we trust them. So it doesn't mean that something wouldn't change Scott somewhere down the line with the Glazers. Like we all know 
that's a possibility. But I actually think the kind of the way it's been designed is that long term, what we'll actually see is a, a full glazer removal. I'm completely convinced of that now. Stuff that I've seen and I've heard and spoken about, I really do think that there's somewhere down the line, especially with Jim Ratcliffe being given control of the stadium, that tells me a lot because that's the kind of thing that if you're an owner and you're, you are going to keep the club, you're going to control that bit. You really are. You're going to control that because you want all of that to come back to you somewhere. The Glazers want their dividends. They don't, they're not actually interested in redeveloping Old Trafford themselves. And they're not really interested in Man United winning football matches. So it's up to Jim Ratcliffe, I think, now to push all of that because he's now got legal control of all of those areas. And again, Scott, it's what we wanted. It's exactly what we wanted. So we got what we wanted. The, the Glazers have been silent, right? They're essentially yeah. silent owners. And that has been to the detriment of Man United. And now they can be even more silent, but things have... Everything that matters is now being assumed control of by Ratcliffe and the people that he brings in. Yeah. So this they can is focus on the NFL now. That's what they want That's to do. They want to focus on Tampa Bay. So they, they can do that now. I know I know a lot of Tampa Bay fans that don't like them, but they have won two Super Bowls there in kind of a 10-year period or whatever it is, 15 years. Um, but that that's their passion. I think, you know, as much as, as much as I think they want Man United to win, they were never prepared, Scott, to do what it took to win. They just thought that you turned up and turned up on a football pitch and, and won. That's what they, you know, probably thought Sir Alex, that's all Sir Alex did. Well, Sir Alex was doing it from 1986, 1987 onwards. Took him, you know, 25 years to get to the apex, to the very, very end of that job. And I think the Glazers massively underestimated what it took to, to run a successful football club. I really do. And, and I think now they're kind of just admitted to and we're like, well, this guy wants to do it. He's a fan. He's a billionaire. He's the richest man in England. Let's give him a go. And I also think that they would like to get into bed with Ineos more. Ineos having all of these sports concerns around the world. I think the Glazers like a bit of that. They're into like, at the moment, IPL and other sports they're looking at to invest in. I think they would like to kind of piggy bank off the back of that with Ineos and maybe do some more deals with them in other sports clubs. He did obviously talk about the fact that he paid tax in the UK for 65 years and yeah. now you know obviously he was he was asked that question there's been we'll talk about the stadium a little bit and where that investment where that money is going to come from um but obviously Qatar was an, another thing that d did come up briefly mm. and when the announcement <laughs> I don't know if you saw this wrong when the announcement was made Ineos's official communication on their social media channels was in the colours of the Qatari flag. I, it, I don't yeah. know if that was intentional or whether that was completely by accident, but I, I, I think that's quite a coincidence. Peak, peak trolling, that sounds it like. Fan, it's fantastic. It's really, really <laughs> At the highest clever. corporate levels. <laughs> it's really clever. Really, really clever. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got to say, like when I, because obviously I've been busy today, so I haven't actually sat there i've read most of what he said but mm. when i saw the the quote circulated about what what he was asked about sheikh jasim and how he responded he said nobody's ever seen him actually the glazers never met in met him i'm not sure he exists this is what is it fine for me and you to say that is it fine for me and you to say that but the fact that he's gone and said that is uh Wow, it's telling, and 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 I think the thing is, is that we know that Sheikh Jassim kind of exists, but 
when we did our due diligence I've on seen about three Justin, pictures of him, Rob. I've seen about well, there's only about three pictures of him that which well, three pictures proves he exists or someone exists, don't they? Like there's three pictures of him. But you would expect there to be a lot more pictures of him, let's be completely honest, in the modern day in 2024. But I always think, Scott, the scariest thing was that when we did due diligence on him and the beard and the consortium and the people who were involved, was that He's got his connection to Qatari banks and the banking system out there. And direct questions were asked to people who work in those systems. And they were like, what's it like to work with Sheikh Jassim? And the thing that came back continually from multiple people was, we don't know, we've never met him. So this is the bank he's supposed to run. And we, we don't know, we've never met him. So but I, we didn't know at the time if that was spin, like they don't want us to talk to us or something like that. And there's some control factors there. Okay, that's fine. But where is he? Where where are you, Sheikh Jassim? Like, can you at least get your phone out tonight, take a picture, set up a Twitter account, and go? Look, I do, do think, exist. Do you think if they'd have won, we'd have got the same? I think if do you know, I think if they'd won, I think we would have just had Sheikh Jassim the name, and I think we would have had a massive a structure around Qatar running the football club, and that was something that I was very against. I was like, I don't want I, that. I, I meant, I meant, would we've had a public appearance? Well, you would like to think that a brand new owner would turn up at the football stadium like Jim Ratcliffe has. So Jim Ratcliffe's been at pretty much every game now since he bought his part of the club. But Sheikh Jassim, yeah, there was one or two pictures of him, I think, in an executive box in a United mm. shirt, kind of doing a selfie and with a football pitch behind him. And we were trying to ratify it and go, we don't really know if that's real. Is that a Photoshop or or what is it? It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. AI spot. is good nowadays. AI is brilliant, yeah. And I think the I think the bottom dollar is, is that every time it was thrown back towards Qatar and said, right, prove this, prove what you're saying is real. And it's not just a load of Twitter accounts. Because again, when we checked those Twitter accounts, they were all bots. And we were like, okay, that's not a good look. <laughs> you know, all of those bots have continually been saying, haven't they, since day one, Qatar next, it's coming. You know, I feel Qatari. I feel Qatari. It's like, okay, oh my God, how long is this going to go on for? And it was boring. To the point, Scott, where you and me said, we're not doing in any shows anymore. We actually, you know, stood up and I said, didn't we, with, with our producer and all that, saying we're not doing that anymore. We don't, we're not going so that line. That, yeah, because boring. So that's not real. So, like, we, we want to do real stuff on our show as much as possible. We want to totally, you know, we all talk hypothetically about players and transfers and one thing or another. But I think for Jim Ratcliffe to actually say that today in front of, the whole of the UK and world press, I don't know if he exists. I think that's quite powerful, really, because no one from Qatar's come out today and gone, well... I mean, what's he going to do? Prove, send a video? <laughs> <laughs> running across the pitch at Old Trafford, doing a selfie, or, do, or do, are you doing a rap of I do exist, actually, Jim. I think yeah. he does exist, but I don't think he is who he is. And I think that's it. I think so he's again, a person that has been placed in front of that bid. Yes, I think he's a I think he's a, a real human being who does not have any real power. So I think that's who he is. And I don't think, you know, his personal wealth was around a billion, was kind of what we added up to. But again, we couldn't ratify that. And a billion wasn't enough to buy anything of Manchester United. Like Jim Ratcliffe had to put 1.3 billion in just to get a seat at the table. So they were going to, what, buy the club for 6 billion or whatever? Well, as we said all the time, Scott, Qatar's got the money to do that and he didn't. So there. That's what, that's your answer. So I think for Ratcliffe to say it like he did today, I think he said it in jest, but I also think there was some kind of serious element there because all the journalists I know who were there at that table today were like, 
yeah, we don't know either. So like him saying that, we can't even say it back to him like, oh yeah, we know who Sheikh Jassim is because we've met them or something like that. So yeah, that was a big ruse, I think, for a whole year. And I think that kept this going, Scott, for a really long time with the Glazers. The Glazers obviously wanted to see what's in the market and maybe they could have come to this deal six months ago if Qatar hadn't been playing these games all along. I have posted some tweets this week uh, sarcastically about Sir Jim being Glazer 2.0 and this being so, so, some of the on some of the rhetoric around when Sir Jim won the race was mm. bad. Scott, you uh, can't do sarcasm on Twitter. You, you, well, I, I quite you know like that. it. I, I actually, I know like you it. do. It's, it's quite fun, but um, <laughs> but you know, I think what what Straight I will man say, funny from, man. That's what, what I will say from the pod, and maybe maybe you're with me here, Rob. If you were on fully 100% Qatar side, and you were very uh, you were very against this, but now you've seen some the moves that they've made, it's fine. You can come back. It's okay. You know, and they have. I think a lot of fans have. I think yeah. a lot of fans have now realized that they got played as well. And I feel sad for those United fans. And I again have said that previously that I think with the whole Qatar thing was that they were selling a hope and a dream. And and yeah, six billion quid for the club and Glazer's gone and you know, go Simon Mbappe sounds all really exciting. A lot of football fans, that's all that floats their boat. And I was trying to say at the time the difference, I think. For, for say for me or the way I was looking at it just as a personal and as an individual was that this is my family football club we're Mancunians going back obviously you can hear my accent it's not very Manc is it yeah it's much more southern and uh, overall I was kind of looking that, that United was looked after like that as as a, as a club from the northwest and I wasn't convinced that that Qatar were going to do that I didn't like the games they were playing but saying that Scott say they had bought the football club then we'd have had to have dealt with that reality wouldn't we you know if they bought it you and me will be doing shows looking at the finer details and, and scrutinising them in exactly the same way that we are going to scrutinise Ineos and Sajim Ratcliffe. Exactly the same way. We want to make sure that these custodians of our football club are doing the right things by our football club. It's massively important to me, that that bit really is. That bit is really important. Yeah. Yes, indeed. A couple more topics to run through. We've uh, we've been going 50 minutes or so. If you're still with us, thanks on YouTube. Uh, big thanks. If you're enjoying the show, please give the stream a like. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't Hello to everyone so. in the comments. Yeah. Lots of hello, people everyone. in the comments hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, we really appreciate the, uh, the support and... There's there's lots of comments. To be fair, I mean, I could I could run through them all day, but also people, you know, it's late and I've had a long day. So talk to each other <laughs> in the comments. Yeah, talk yeah. to each other. Really we'll talk appreciate to you. it. Um, just saying, yeah, subscribe wherever you get your podcast as well. On if you we do audios or if you're traveling to work or something, and you want to listen just with us in your ears instead, Apple and Spotify is where you can find us. The Promise and a Man United podcast. We're also on YouTube as you're watching. As we speak now, uh, like the video, subscribe, leave a comment as well. And the socials are double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and that's TPLMUFC for the show as well. A couple more topics that I'd like to talk about hmm. that we have established as the important ones. So um, another divisive issue, Mason Greenwood. Hmm. We've not talked about him very much, right? Hmm. Obviously, United made a complete mess of that situation. And I feel like if I've learned anything today is that already we've seen some kind of leadership that we haven't seen 
in a long time. Mm. And he hasn't committed. He hasn't said anything particularly that is one way or another point to which way this is going to go. Maybe on the stadium, we could read a bit more into that. And obviously we'll get that, get to that at the end of the show, but <clears throat> some, some stuff on Greenwood, he's confirmed that they'll make a fresh decision. Mm-hmm. We'll make a decision and we will justify it, which I, that's quite an interesting sentence actually. I like that. Yeah. And he said, I can talk about the principle. I'm not going to talk about Mason. I'm familiar with it. The principle is the important one. We will have other issues going forward. You're dealing with young people who've not always been brought up in the best circumstances, who have a lot of money and who don't always have the guidance that they should have. What we do need to do when having issues like that is understand the real effects, not the hype. And then we need to make a, need to make a fair decision in the light of the club's values. That's what we need to do. And that's how we will deal with it. That is like, now that might not go down well with everyone. That's right? a grown up. Talking. But that is a grown-up way of lo- yeah. assessing the situation, and my like my big thing on Greenwood, like pers- my personal take is I think United should sell him. Mm. I do. I, I think United should look at with everything that you weigh up with FFP and all the difficulties, the reintegration of Mason Greenwood is going to be a problem that I I don't think is worth it, and I would I would yeah. say, and I understand if you don't want Mason Greenwood to play for the football club again, that is completely fine. I understand that. I think it'd be a very, very difficult thing to do to reintroduce him. But I also understand what Jim has said there because that line about dealing with young people who have not always been brought up in the best circumstances, who have a lot of money and don't always have the guidance. These young kids are always told yes. Mm. You know? And like, it's, it's, uh, it's a big, it's a big thing. And I feel like he's dealt with that in a very, very grown up way. And mm. like I say, I have my own pers- my own personal take on it. I, d- I don't want to. I don't want Mason Greenwood to play for the club again. But the way that he has dealt with that is the kind of level of maturity that I can respect. Personally. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's where a kind of personal moralistic side of it meets business because the two things do reflect on each other. And I think again, again, paraphrasing for what he said today was like he said we need to judge Mason Greenwood like whether he's whether he could be a Manchester United player or whether he could do the, like do the role justice. And I actually quite liked him dialing it back to that, to about what, you know, is Mason Greenwood worthy to be at the football club? Because I think that's what it will come down to, Scott, is that they will make that choice at the end of the day and they'll make it for their own good reasons. And they have to make it for the best laid reasons. And I even said there at the end of the quote, Jim Ratcliffe said was, you know, we also have to see a Manchester United fans would like this or not. Now, we do know that in the Twitterverse, that half of Twitter loves Mason and shares memes of him every day playing in Spain and all of this. And I, as I said before, I think when I spoke to Old Trafford, a lot of the fans on site at games have gone the other way and said, you know, if he comes out May United shirt, he will be booed. You mm-hmm. know, it will never happen. So, so that went back to Richard Arnold. And that was exactly why Richard Arnold made the decision he made at that time. It was made crystal clear to Richard Arnold that you were going to get the biggest ever backlash at Old Trafford you've ever had, bigger than any Glazer backlash. And as soon as that came up and was on the table, Man United absolutely went, right, we can't do this. This will wreck the club. And you're not telling me that Jim Ratcliffe, the, the old conservative man that he is, is going to go down a route where he's going to rock that boat. So I think the thing is with Mason Greenwood is that that's the right thing to say, is that we are in charge of the football employment, so we will make that choice down there and we will justify it. I like that line, we will justify it because they will explain what they'll do. 
But I think more than that, Scott, is that he's an asset. So you sell him. So if you can sell him and make some money on it, do you know what you do? You go buy someone else. You don't yeah, need exactly. that problem. Yeah. And and unfortunately, Mason, you know, it was one time that, you know, I imagined him to be a future hero of the football club and I thought he was going to be fantastic. I first saw him play when he was like 16 and I thought, wow, great. And I thought the same about Ravel Morrison. And, you know, I felt the same about Paul Pogba when I saw him as a kid. It doesn't always work out for multiple different reasons, ultimately. You know, we talked about Luke Shaw a minute ago and we talked about Harry Amass coming in at 16. You know, you get these young players and you, you go, oh, wow, this could be someone special. Mason was nearly there, but unfortunately, we can't control what happens with Mason Greenwood off a football pitch or how he lives his life. So ultimately, if that's what it comes down to, I think United will need to sell him, take the money and run. Take the money and go and invest it in someone else because we know that United will have transfer targets when it comes to the summer and they could do with the cash. Yeah. Um, just reading the rest of the, the section that you said there, all I can do is talk about the principle of how we will pro approach decisions like that. Yeah. That's so important. He says about other loans as well. He was like, there's other players out on loan and it's the same principle. He went, we have to look at every individual and we have to work under the same guys. And I also like the thing he said about young people, Scott, because I've said that on shows before and gone that these kids, I think I did, I told a story, didn't I, once about when I was working at Arsenal and I was I was in there and we were filming and doing some work and all these cars were in the, in the car park where we were parked and there were Ferraris everywhere. And I was like, oh God, what? I was like, we're the first team here. I didn't realize that. I thought it was a day off. And one of the assistants asked me like, no, that's, that's the kids. That's the kids' cars. I was like, Ferrari, 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 Porsche, Ferrari, top of the line Range Rover, Ferrari, Ferrari. And these are 16, 17, 18 year olds. It's not right. You know, it doesn't doesn't help you become a mature individual, does Can't it? Can't drive that, at 16. <laughs> one, of the, one of the lads that came in who was coming to get his keys off, off reception was one of the youngest lads. And he, he, he couldn't even get in the Ferrari. He was like, he was so small and short. And, and he was one of the kids. He was in the youth team. And I was like, I thought it was like quite funny. But then you think, must be it's, it's a weird world it's not normal you know that that you're at that age and we're talking and even Garnacho got his contract recently scott we're talking about that and when paul pogba was at united and went to juventus even though we're only talking tens of thousands in those days and now we're talking millions still a lot of money for a kid you know ravel morrison couldn't handle it at man united and he was probably the most blessed individual talent that we've ever had in a 20 or 30 year period. And he never even put the shot on once for United in the end. So just, just what happens sometimes. I think Mason Greenwood, he will go and have a career somewhere. I just don't think that career will be at Old Trafford. Yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's my stance on it as well. And he has, uh, he, he said, he was asked about it. Are you saying you're not closing the door? He's a Man United footballer. So we're in charge of football. So the answer is, yeah, we have to make decisions. It's quite clear. We have to make one. There's no decision that's been made. He's on loan, but he's not the only one. We've got one or two footballers that we have to deal with and we'll make yes. a decision on, so we will do that. The process will be understand the facts, not the hype, and then try and come to a fair decision on the basis of values, which is basically, is he a good guy or not? And could he play mm -hmm. sincerely for Man United well? And would we, would we be comfortable with it? And would the fans be comfortable with it? There we go. So like, I think it's he's, just, he's, he's, it's such he's a answering mature, it without answering it. <laughs> but it's, it's such a mature, and like the guy's 71, of course he's going to be mature, but like sensible, like take on it. You remember we did our show when it all broke, that Basin Greenwood news, and we did our show and we did the, at the end of it, when United had come to their conclusion after months of investigating and investigating. And it was all from the mouth of um, uh, Richard Arnold. And it was gobbledygook. 
so much just double speaking it. And we, I read it and I was like, man, I would feel bad if our company was putting that out because that, that's so bad. And this is the biggest football club in the world, supposedly. Yeah. And trying to deal with something that we've had at least a year to deal with now, 18 months. And it was all gobbledygook. And what Jim Ratcliffe said there made more sense in like three or four sentences than Manchester United made in all the time that was going on with Mason. And he's doing so, that in a, in a conversation, not a prepared statement. Yeah. To this day, yeah. just to put a cap on Mason, to this day, Mason Greenwood still hasn't come out, sat down, and spoke properly about what happened. And that's, that's enough for me. The fact that he hasn't done that is enough. That is like, well, we don't need to go any further than that. And that's that. You know, it doesn't matter what people think on Twitter. You know, Mason could have could they could have come out and done a charm offensive and talked to the talked candidly about their relationship or their past and all this. No, none of that's happened. He's gone to Spain and kicked a football around. So that's okay. So you know, we leave it there, don't we? And you know, make some money on him. You can make some money and use that money on another player. Manchester United will just continue. Leave that to be. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba somebody else's issue for me yes that, that's the that's the right way to approach it he did some talk about Ineos and Nice and yeah. essentially said he talked about Chelsea Rob there's so much stuff like like I said at the top with, with this there's too much stuff to paraphrase talk about today but <laughs> he, he, he essentially said that Chelsea are nothing in comparison to Man United didn't yeah. he? he said all the London clubs, all the London clubs, and it's true, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. Like Arsenal, they're not much, much cop, are they? You know, Tottenham, you know, they're all they're all just small teams in London. <laughs> Very interesting that. But we, I need to s- find the section around Old Trafford. I, I, I do know I have heard what you said. Hmm. I'm trying to dig it up for the sake of this, but there's a lot to tread through. Yeah. But Old Trafford, right? He was asked what his plans are, and he talked about re or revamping the current Old Trafford. And yes. I believe he said the words would not be perfect. Mm. Yes. And then he went on to say and talk about if they did make a new ground on mm. the area that we discussed on the last show. Obviously, that they're involved with the council and they have decisions to make and nothing's been decided there. But it does seem his preference, and I think he essentially confirmed it as much, his preference does seem to be that if they can do it, a new Old Trafford is going to be the plan. And I yes. don't think he would go that far as to say it if he wasn't confident that it could happen. 
we know behind the scenes that that's exactly what you're saying. So we've known that for a little while. One of the things he said today was he talked a little bit about cost implications and timings. And again, we have covered that in our previous shows when we first did our first Old Trafford show. But like he said today that if we were going to do a refurb job, and he said, you know, eighty to 90000 you know, as a stadium, and we could go down that route, he said it would cost about one. And what he meant by one was billion. So it cost about one billion to do the refurb job. But then he's kind of counterpointed himself and said, well, the problem is, of course, is the train line. He said, so we don't like the train line. It's always been a problem for Manchester United. It's something that United continually tried to work around. They've bought bits around the train line to be able to execute certain laws and stuff so they can build. But it's not ideal. So that's kind of where he went. But then he followed it up, Scott, by saying, you know, and this is what he was impassioned about. He was like, you know, why does the North not have a stadium of, of a Wembley Stadium, national stadium size, yet the North pays just as much taxes as the South? Now, I thought it was quite interesting that he went down that route because that was a kind of funny route to take. No, but but it's, it's, right. it's, it's such a way broader, it's, it's way broader than football, right? He talked yeah. about HS2, you know, and yeah. lots of, lots of stuff and how the North has been, like, obviously I, I live South. Yeah, but you know, lots of uh, he pointed to Wembley and to the Olympics and to mm. Stratford, the Olympic Stadium, and lots of stuff, and how the North has been essentially neglected. So he feels as though that it, a regeneration of the area around Old Trafford and bringing attractions that can host what what, what did he say they could host? I'm going to say WrestleMania just because <laughs> just because I think they it's funny. But but you know they they don't really have a stadium that could could do that currently in the north. No. But to bring something modern and like state of the art to that mm. area of the world, you know. Yeah, we mentioned Tottenham last, don't we? And they've both got big stadiums, so it's like you know they're in London, then you've got Wembley, which is kind of squashed down the sides uh, of London. It's not all, all within a kind of stone throw of each other, isn't it? So I, I think the thing is that. There's two ways of looking at this. So Jim Ratcliffe, we know by trade, is is a raging Tory. He's a conservative, without a doubt. Tory part of donor. Um, that's his background. That's where Ineos, you know, in terms of the the like, this is why he is a sir, you know. But this is why he has his his um his um his accolade there on his name, you know. Has he earned it? Maybe, maybe not. But I think the whole thing is is that we see now that with the change of government and the way that he's now doing what he's doing back in Manchester, that there is some other motivation for him to go down this route. Yeah. And the whole thing is that if he, if he builds a new, a new old Trafford there on that site, he used some really like key examples, Scott, like he was like, when people come, he said like, you know, that we should have a campus here that can accommodate all these fans and we don't. And he said something along the lines of like, when the kids come here, we've got like an Xbox outside there for them to play on and that's us and he said i think he said i think he said used the words and it's crap i think that's what he said and i was like do you know what it is crap because i've taken my kids there and i've used that xbox and i've gone this is not particularly very good this is the biggest club in the world and they've got an xbox and a little cage where they can kick a ball around but yet there's seventy five thousand people it doesn't really make any sense to me what's going on that's why we quip about the wi-fi because it's like yeah biggest club in the world but can't have wi-fi it's like okay but I think Jim Ratcliffe looks at that and he looks at Old Trafford as that as the project that he could put his name on and that you could build this super stadium in the in the in the northwest of have you said 80,000, 80, 80, 90,000 on rebuild, Scott? That made me think when I heard that. I thought, does that mean a hundred thousand seats? Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. 
because and that's what i wanted you know i know we've done shows on that and i did a big clip on that and said i really want 100,000 seats because that is the point that i made before about dallas cowboys in their stadium is that you want the best for your fans you go build it and you tell them then to come and you're not going to you're not going to stop man united fans from all around the world coming to that stadium you're just not and it will be amazing and he also did talk scott about a deconstruction of the original old trafford so he said We'd keep that. He said, and another thing he said, he said, like, <laughs> I'm laughing now because we're just remembering bits from it. Where, but he said, oh, like, you know, we've got the museum and that's rubbish. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And he said, and club shop's rubbish. And it's like, yeah, they are. They're all rubbish. Like, you go in a club shop on a match day and you're like this walking around because it's like nasty. It's like being on the tube at 5 p.m. Uh, in London. It's not particularly pleasant and quite smelly. So I think. I think he's got all of these motivations to do this, but of course the real motivation is for Man United to win. And the, the stadium is connected to that. If you have the best stadium and you're getting the best revenues from that, you pump that back into footballers and back into players. One extra bit, Scott, you said about Carrington. Did you hear that bit at all? Because I, I know you went on, on that. I, I was just going to go so, down the, a different path, but you go for it. So just with Carrington, he said, he said, I've been to Carrington. He said, I don't think it's that bad. He went, I've been to Carrington. He said, I know people have talked about it. We can upgrade bits and pieces. Said, But to me, he said, it's not a priority at all. Now, I thought it's quite interesting because we have talked a lot about the training grounds in the past and saying about moving United away from Carrington. So it seems, you see, that they've already made that choice already. He's going in on the stadium and I'm not wasting 200 million on the training grounds. I'm just not doing it. It's going into the stadium and I don't want these Xboxes and I don't want that. Uh, I don't want the club shop there and I don't want to do this. And he wants to retain Old Trafford. And he did, by name, said the women's team would play there. And he said, uh, and he said, obviously, the youth teams would play there as well. And that then keeps that heritage, doesn't it? You know, it's what you're not a lot United it's, fans it's are worried quite, about. It's, it's quite magic, isn't it? It's well really? thought out. It's, it's, well it's, thought it's out. like I know we've talked about it like potentially happening yeah. on previous shows, but this is this is what you said. If you use that as a center of regeneration, a bit like the Olympic Village, then I think what you probably finish up doing is Old Trafford would end up being reduced in size to a smaller facility, hmm. still in the same footprint, but a smaller facility, which can be used for all sorts of community things, be it a concert or whatever. The women's teams could play there, the academy teams could play there. Some of the local teams could play there and Old Trafford could sort of become a community asset and then you'd have this World Cup world-class stadium next to it. Amazing. Isn't that like the yeah. perfect scenario? Because totally. I'll, I'll take the youth team as a, a specific example here. And we, we talked about this on previous shows, how much stock United put into their youth development and how a youth player has been in the team for 80 plus years, every single bloody squad for mm. 80 years and how important that is and how, you want to retain your tradition. You want to retain your identity, but you have to move stadium because you feel like it's good, to, the good thing to do to take the club forward. But you still manage to retain that identity by putting the very thing you put in your squad every week for 80 years. You make them play on the turf that has been so crucial to the history of the club in the first place. So it's a, uh, it's a it's a nice it's a really nice way to a nice narrative anyway to develop if you're going to move totally and and 
I think as well, and I said this on the show about emotion, you cannot allow this to be an emotional decision, but you have to consider the emotion. So you have to think, well, we need that stadium next door, that new 100,000 seat stadium. We really do to attract players, to attract... It has to be 100,000 now you said that, by the way. It has, it has to be 100,000. I'm going to campaign for that. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting off that. I don't want 93,000 or something like that. I just, you know, give me 100, just 100, you know, size matters. But um, I think when it comes down to it, is that, if you can retain Old Trafford and because you own the land, then that's fantastic and retain it and use it and use it for what it should be. And that, yeah, it just will end up becoming almost like a grand museum and it will be, you can take it back to the original parts there. You can keep that pitch. You can have games still there. You can have all sorts there on that site and it still is really important. And he talked there about a community asset. That's the way I look at it. It's like this for the community of people who live in that area. That's what that stadium is. He talked again about the history of people who work in that area. And he said about, you know, why Old Trafford is there, why the stadium is there, why the team moved to Old Trafford, why they play their games there. And all of that is still relevant today. And you know what, Scott? It's better than, say, other clubs when they, they left their stadiums. When Arsenal left Highbury, Highbury's now a block of flats, yeah? It's a very nice one. And the pitch is still there in the middle, I believe. And you, you know, you can you can take one of the flats on the outside, but it's a block of flats. You know, main road is now a bus garage, right? So, you know, we don't want that for old trappers. <laughs> like we don't want those things for old trappers. We don't want just to be frivolously like, you know, pushed away. But we do have to realize that we need a brand new stadium. You know, if you want a brand new football club, and I think that's what you lot United fans want, is some a football club that goes into the next millennia and kind of proves itself then you have to modernize you cannot just stay in that old building that's dilapidated and crumbling and and he made that point today he was like you know he said the stadium is not very good and it was like it really isn't and we've said that on our show and we've been criticized for it but a lot of people say to me oh you're not a real united fan you go there you must hate going there. i'm like no i love going there i've been going there since i was nine you know but i I see it for what it is and it's special when I've got all the memories there and those memories are up here in my head. They don't need to be. They still exist on video as well. Yeah, they still exist on video and I don't need, I don't need the cast iron girders around Old Trafford to touch them to remember it either. You know, that's just bricks and mortar and I think bricks and mortar, if you're going to have it, then have it good. You know, have the best that you can have. And Manchester United deserves the best and Manchester United fans deserve the best stadium possible. And Man United are so far behind everybody else that if they go and make it developments to match what's current or put them on the same level as what's current they'll they'll still be behind in 20 years i think that's so, why he said it said about the eighty thousand. that's why he said oh it'll be all right and then he was like but and i was like yeah. it's a nice way of phrasing it again just to make people understand because you need to make united have spent 10 years not going standing still and therefore going backwards because everyone's caught yeah. them up they need to make a statement and there's no better way to make a statement that, hey, we're back, listen to us, we're serious again, than by putting your football team in the best stadium in the world and Definitely. endeavouring to play the best football in the world. And you Because Pep ain't going to last forever at City, by the way. Like, Klopp's leaving Liverpool, Pep's not going to last forever at City. This, where United will be in the next three years... They, if they play their cards right, they're in the mix. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, it's a window opportunity. It's a, it's a big window. Arsenal are there as well. All, all of the clubs are. But yeah. United have just as good a chance if they get things it's, right. It's all to play for. And as I said, I think I think a regeneration of the whole area would take around 10 years, but the stadium project would be five and, and below that. 
And if that's something that, say, they pulled the trigger on quite quickly, and let's be honest, we're seeing with Ineos that they like to operate relatively fast. They like to keep the get going. We know that they've commissioned architects over a short period of time from last year when United did it to their own architects now, the same ones that, that did the Tottenham Stadium, is that they're looking at all of their options. And I think that, I don't know, Scott, could we get to the summer that quickly? And could they go, right, we've made, we just made a decision on it. We're doing this and we're going to start erecting the new stadium there. We'll keep this stadium here for two or three years before we do anything to that. And that means all the season ticket holders still get to go, like myself, still there every single week. Um, and then we make this kind of smooth transition to a new stadium. I'd be delighted with that. I really, really would because, you know, like I've said before, Stratford is Manchester United. It's not It's not a building. And I think, you know, for me, we get that, you get that brand new building there and you can show that it's the best stadium in the world. How exciting would that be to have the best stadium in the world, 100,000-seat stadium, bigger than Wembley Stadium, better than Wembley's rubbish. Like, be honest, Wembley's a rubbish stadium. Oh, it's been. Yeah, uh, it's that is a soulless brick, you know, stadium. I don't want that at United. But I, I think I, you could. I, I could have gone to the League Cup final this weekend. I just don't want to. It's horrible. <laughs> you know, it's just it's a horrible stadium. Not because Chelsea are playing Liverpool either, but because it's a it's a nightmare. It's Honestly. not nice. I, yeah, horrible to get in and out. It's just it's just not nice. But I think this is just a, a massive opportunity for Stretford and the low and the surrounding areas of Old Trafford. To, to be able to regenerate because they do deserve it. And I'm, I was really happy to hear Jim Ratcliffe kind of sing the same kind of song today and say, no, it's the people around here that deserve this stadium. And that's what we want to deliver. Man, like, can you imagine a Glazer ever saying anything like that? Like, the actual people that own the club from before have never said anything like that. They don't know anything about the club. They just own it. And it's just, a, it's, as I said before, like New York Yankees baseball caps. That's how they view Man United is just a brand. Uh, at least Jim Ratcliffe, I think, sees us as something a little bit more relevant than that. Right. Let's wrap it there because we've been going for a while. Uh, it's yeah. late for us. Could have gone. Uh, could have kept going so much. Could, it, could keep going. And maybe we'll pick up next on uh, on Friday morning. We'll be back then. Uh, but this is a... I, I yesterday tweeted when, when the confirmation came out that it was a monumental day. I don't know what you said, Rob, but I'm sure you've been tweeting a lot. I haven't really been on Twitter too much. But things are different. Let's just say that. Things, things are going to be yeah. different from now on. Yeah. No, no more hopelessness. There's, there's hope. The, 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 I, you know, I didn't tweet, right? And do you know why I didn't tweet? Because I was just going to tweet the work starts now. Because that's how I feel. Like, that's how I feel now. Like, I've, I've got my business head on. I'm like, right, this is it now. You got what you wanted. Ineos have got billions of pounds. Jim Ratcliffe's the richest man in the country. You've got enough. Man United effectively can be the richest club in the country and in the world again one day. You've got stuff ready to go now, oven cooked. You just got to put it in the oven. And I, and I think that's the way it goes now. Build a squad, give Eric Ten Hag what he needs. If Eric Ten Hag can't prove himself in the interim, then you, you'll go with someone else. That's okay. And I think you just take the project one step at a time now. And that's why I said three years for me might be being a little bit optimistic. But yeah, like if that's your ambition, then go for it. You know, if you can do it in three years, Liverpool might fall off now. Like, you know, they want Javi Alonso. Are they going to get him Scott now with uh, boss uh, with Bayern Munich looking for a mm, new coach? I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. I actually think that that might go south for Liverpool now. I think also, it's... everybody loves Xabi Alonso. Let's remember, he's had 60-odd, 70-odd games as a manager. Eric Ten Hag. Even that, is he? Is Eric he... Ten Hag was one of the best managers in Europe at the time. Yeah. 
before he joined Man United. Yeah, everyone will look at Xabi Alonso for his one season's worth of work at Bayer Leverkusen or one and a half seasons and think he's the greatest manager in the world. Well, everyone's yeah. got to prove it. Everyone's got to prove it. Eric including and the players included. And I think now they're going to have a window between now and the end of the season to show Jim Radcliffe and to show Ineos and to show, you know, uh, the new sporting director who's in his garden for the next ever how long that they're worthy of those jobs. And it should be about that, Scott. It should be about sport and it should be about football and you prove it on the football pitch. That's what matters. One thing extra we'll just at the end the show with Jim Radcliffe said, He's watched United obviously a lot this year because he's wanted to. He always watches United, but he's like, I actually quite like the team, quite like what we're doing, quite like some of the football. It's quite exciting. He didn't have to say that, didn't he? We didn't have to say he could have just dodged that completely. But I actually think that that he he does feel that genuinely, but they need to build. And he also did highlight that we are nowhere near Man City. That was one of the things he said. He was like, City are way ahead, and we need to learn from our own noisy neighbors. So there was a lot of that kind of posturing. But but I like it because I agree with him. I think we do have to learn from City in that context. And we do have to find a style of football now. That's a big thing for me now. Next six months, find a style of football, Scott. So when we're doing pre-season, you and me, and we're doing something around pre-season for work, yeah, we go, oh, we saw a style of football because we didn't see it this, this pre-season. We know why. We understand why. And we know there was injuries. But that's the next step for Man United is that you've got something that you that you can say is the Manchester United way. That is really, really important now in six months' time. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube, the Promised Land of Man United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment for us as well. Hit the notification bell so you never miss a show. We'll be back on Friday. Follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, Instagram, TikTok, at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube. And at TPLMUFC on X, this has been the Promised Land, a very, this is our latest edition we might have ever done. Uh, and I, I need to, I need to, I need to call this a day now. Scott's tired. I'm, Look, I'm tired. I'm tired as well. It's been a long day. It has been a long I've day. I've managed to get through this without telling anybody that I've had a good few drinks tonight as well. So and now you've spoiled you it, what, haven't you? I tell you what, like, <laughs> I, I think I've done a pretty good job. For, for I think you you're know. just starting to slur a little bit there now, Scott. So, like, you know, I, I, think... I might have done it once or twice. <laughs> um, but the, well, you're celebrating of... this day, aren't you? Yeah, new studio, uh, new studio for ninety men, new office, new studio, a couple of two, three weeks. New time, owner for Man New United. Office, new owner for Man United. All is changing. Anyway, we'll be back. Harry Ranting coming. Porto one, Arsenal nil in the Champions League. Let's uh, let's leave that. Enjoy that one, Harry, and uh, enjoy your next couple of days, everyone. We'll see you Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. It's been the Promise Land. See you soon. <clears throat> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.